All right. So I am joined today by Mrs. Tossie. How are you doing, Mrs. Tossie? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mr. Castagna? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. I'm excited to have a nice podcast conversation about a movie that you've selected. Yes. Uh, which is 2006's Disney Channel original high school musical. Uh, why'd you pick this one? Um, so one, I was thinking when you had so graciously asked me to do this, I was thinking, oh, well, something lighter, let's keep it light. Let's keep it fun. And then I was just thinking about, um, the senior class because there's so much I know right now that's hard about them not being in our space. Um, and so I'm doing this as a little like kind of, you know, devoted or dedicated to them, I should say. Um, mainly because my yearbook students, um, play the high school musical soundtrack like ad nauseum and the pub lab and sing around and dance to it so um if it's not that it's mama mia um so instead of doing mama mia i thought high school musical because i know you and i both are craving being back in the high school space uh soon so i thought it might be an appropriate uh watch for us yeah it was actually the second time i was watching it there were a group of students a couple years ago that convinced me to watch it uh, with my AP class after we were done with the AP test and we had some time left and we wanted to critique a movie and they picked High School Musical. Uh, so I had seen it then. Uh, I definitely did not see it when it first came out in 2006. I was in my mid-20s then, so I wasn't really doing Disney Channel. I didn't have kids yet. Uh, so I was reminded of that. I was also reminded that this was so big that by 2008, High School Musical 3 actually was a theatrical release. They put it out in theaters. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see kind of that surge because you don't see a lot of content and programming back then, like early 2000s that would make leaps across like platforms. It was pretty much like if you were a television show, you were a television show, that was kind of it. You would maybe have like the parodied versions of those television shows, like a la the Brady Bunch movie or Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. But for the most part, if you were a TV show, you were a TV show. And like for me, this came out like similar kind of situation. It was two years after I graduated high school. So it's you're in that space where you're not watching youth program ironically yet. And you're not like, totally nostalgic for the thing. Like you don't really want to watch like high school related content. I feel like that surge happens again in like your mid to late twenties where you kind of like want to delve back into that melodrama a little bit. Um, or like maybe your early thirties, which can explain why I watched two seasons of Riverdale before giving up. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting to like, I think we both kind of missed the wave on this, but it's also fascinating to see like how dedicated, like, like this like current like group feels towards something that wasn't really put out for them. It's something they found probably when they were very young and watching it, I could see where it's something that could, if you wanted to, it could appeal to a high school student, but probably not leaning more towards middle school or elementary school of like, Oh, this must be what high school's like. People like Troy Bolton are just walking the halls of every American high school, which I mean, it's not true, but like, it's kind of that fun, like, like entrance into this is eventually where I'll be at some point. Yeah. I was also reminded uh, that I don't really understand musicals. I don't know what your feelings are <laughs> on musicals, but my entire life, I've, movies are supposed to be immersive, right? And make you forget that these are actors playing parts and there's a script and it's all made up. And musicals kind of walk this fine line where the story is totally organic like that until the music starts. And then all of a sudden, everybody is singing and dancing in sync and on key, and they know the words and they know the moves. Uh, take Greece, for example. Greece was really popular when I was coming of age. So 
when those guys are working on cars and they spontaneously break into song because Danny Zuko has feelings for the Australian girl. I will probably tell him sing most of this, but. What, so because everything else up to that point is done realistically, I start yeah. asking realistic questions like, so did they get up at like 530 in the morning and say, all right, guys, listen, in case the mood strikes, Here's the choreography. Here are the words. And it was like, no, no, Kaniki, you got to kick with your right leg there. And they get it all mapped out. And then they like go back to bed and the day starts. And then later in the day, sure enough, Danny Zuko's feeling it. He says the right words. And then suddenly they're singing yeah. and they're dancing. And they like where they learn the moves. And, and like Kaniki's like, it's happening, guys. Like take your places. Like five, six, seven, eight. Like let's go. Yes. Imagine, um, imagine you were teaching Gatsby and like, some kid raises his hand and makes this incredible point, this observation that you've never thought of before. And you respond by like half singing a response to that. And then another kid raises a hand and sings a response. And then there's a third kid who chimes in. And then you're up on top of the desk and you're marching down the hallway and you come past my room and I'm moving my arms exactly the way you are. Like that's, that doesn't, that's not real. Well, first off, if that did happen, best day ever, one. <laughs> and so, two, I grew up, um, you know, it, it, really loving musical theater. Um, I'm a theater nerd. Well, I'm a nerd about a lot of things, but I'm a theater nerd. So <laughs> the best, like, understanding I was ever given of this is that it's no, you take it in the sense of no different than, like, when uh, someone is delivering a soliloquy. Like, no, in... All right, unless you're me, you don't talk for long, long periods of time, assuming you're not going to be interrupted. Like... It, but that it's essentially, it's like the expression of like the inner emotions. So you have to kind of like break the reality of, oh, it's not that everyone practiced this. It's meant to be that this is like naturally occurring. Like this is like part of your universe. It's like an accepted norm of like, sometimes they say where it becomes really interesting as a movie like high school musical, where there's such a bucking against performance and, yes. but yet everyone's performing theatrically constantly so it's like this really weird interplay where it's um, like kind of the irony of the fact that within your world, breaking and, you know, and singing and dancing is like totally normal. The other way you can look at it is that the times in which you're seeing musical performance, it's like, it's, that's the inner monologue of the person, almost like what Troy Bolton is seeing at um, basketball practice is this choreographed routine because of his like inner desires to be musical. So he's seeing it play out as a musical or like when you have the cafeteria sequence that depending on like whose subjective viewpoint you're in, this is how they'd be seeing it occurring. This one way of looking at it, I don't think it's satisfying, especially when you have people criticizing performance, but then in the next scene they're performing. It's, it's it. you're yeah. You won me over and then you lost me. Because I, 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 I get Shakespeare and I understand like, oh, okay, this is what the guy's thinking inside. It wouldn't look like this in real life. But now we get a glimpse inside of his mind. Um, but you're right. Here, you actually get a basketball number with the basketball players singing and dancing about mm -hmm. Troy getting his head in the game because he shouldn't be singing and dancing. Yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and the strangeness of this, because you don't have this in most theory, but like, it, all right. So if we do think of it as like Troy's inner expression, then we're not taking it as reality. But then the hard part of this is so much of like Troy and Gabriella's romance kind of relies on the fact that this like is born from like a, a musical moment of them singing together. So then you have to like negotiate throughout the film, like what of this is meant to be like 
interpreted as internal dialogue for a character versus what if it is meant to be like this isn't actually an outward expression of this performance is happening. Yeah, so I like, agree. And I think that's if, it was one, if it was one or the other, I think it would work better because there are organic musical numbers that I think are really effective. Um, what's the, the karaoke number or start of something new or something like that? Start of something new. Yeah. Yeah. Like that works because it's a musical number, but it's actually part of the story. Like they are singing on stage. Now it's coincidental that the lyrics they're singing describe exactly what's happening in that moment. You know, like even though they didn't know it was going to be a meet cute and they didn't plan on singing at all. And it like described, I'm surprised their names aren't in the song. You know, there's a line about like, you know, Troy meets Gabriella. Well, I know at one point I got like tremendously frustrated because like not everyone in the ski lodge was stopping to watch them. And I'm like, what ski lodge is this? Where like these two like beautiful people get up and like harmonize perfectly with no practice and like none of you were stopping. Like these are good voices, guys. Like sit down and take notice. It actually was kind of frustrating to me at first. And I was like, well, I guess like it's people are being blasé about it. But I'm like, I think I've never been on vacation to a place where like, you know, to really talented people get up and like starts like harmonizing out of nowhere together. So it's like, it's interesting how the film plays with those like notions, like how much of it is happening in reality, but in reality, I think people would have stopped and noticed, or is that kind of a note to reality that no one really stops and cares about the fact that these two people are singing together till about halfway through the song. I don't know. It's bizarre. It is pretty contradictory (laughs) because they don't take that number seriously, despite the fact these two people can really sing, like you said, but they seem to take their karaoke very seriously. There's a guy working a spotlight. Yeah. Somewhere. And he shines it on them. And that's how they pick the next two people who are going to do karaoke. I know. Again, this vacation spot is really bizarre. And I kind of want to go there just to see what happens. But that gym is glorious. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There's the same Oh, yeah. The singing is not the unreal part of this. It's actually, it's the facilities. That's really the thing that I can't wrap my head around. Let's do it then. We've set up a series of categories so we can break this movie down and dissect every little single piece of it. Uh, First category is this scene actually made me forget we're in the middle of an international pandemic. So I've got some nominees for what I think is the best scene that did that. Tossie's got some nominees and we'll just talk our way through it. So first nominee for the scene that made me forget we're in the middle of the coronavirus was the opening karaoke scene for a number of reasons. I think uh, the singing is very good. It's a cute little scene. Uh, Everybody would love to meet somebody that way. It's very, very nice. Uh, And on the other hand, I also couldn't take my eyes off of Zac Efron, not because he's a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. I was disappointed he didn't take his shirt off at any point in this movie because he's got like a 10-pack. It's insane. So he, I'm in awe of anybody who's in that good of shape. Fair. He does, he does have his, oh, this is going to sound so creepy though. He does have his shirt off in the locker room sequence because I remember thinking, oh, that feels kind of scandalous for like a Disney TV movie. I was like, there's a shirtless person in here. Shirtless, well, I mean, he was at the time like 20 years old. Um, but I was like, oh, that feels scandalous. But I agree because I think so much what we know is Zac Efron's like, performance and persona now is so focused on his body and like how well he takes care of himself that's like almost interesting thing in this like infancy stage where he wasn't that like massive like hollywood heartthrob just yet i think i forgot about that one shirtless scene because it's not peak efron like he had no. to that point where he takes his shirt off and you're like and like you gasp like the entire theater 
men, women, whatever, everybody's like, oh. Anyway, the reason that I was so fascinated with that opening karaoke scene is not because Zac Efron is beautiful, because is he trying to look like a 70s teen idol? Like, is he channeling David Cassidy with the shirt and the hair? What is going on there? Well, there was that beautiful tradition in the early 2000s of like the, um, like the heavy bang, like for, for, for guys. It looks like Farron yeah, it's, it is. And like, listen, viewership who's attending high school right now, you probably don't know the reference of Farrah Fawcett, go Google image it, like, and you'll understand, like, there is a, a heavy 70s referential thing that happens in fashion and like, in the 90s, like, because if you look at like the start of Friends and look particularly like Phoebe's attire, there's like all this like 70s reference. But like, I remember that. And I'm sure you do. Like early 2000s, like, like, female jeans were bell-bottomed. They weren't skinny jeans. So I, th- I think it's because of that. But I did put, like, at one point in my notes, like, wow, all the, like, early 2000 flashbacks of fashion because it looks so much more dated than I expected it to. Yeah, if it was just the hair, I would have thought, oh, okay, he's doing Bieber. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but the shirt is very 70s with the flowers down the middle. It's buttoned up. It's a little too long. He's got the sleeves rolled up. Yeah. Doesn't he have like a velvet blazer too that he had on at one point in that if scene? He doesn't he should? It would fit with that shirt and that hair. I feel like he does. I feel like I remember he has like a velvet blazer on, and at some point during the karaoke, he takes it off. And I remember thinking, "Wow, that's a velvet blazer." And nothing against velvet blazers, like, but the shirt, the hair, the velvet, like, it all combines. Very seventies. Another scene that took my mind off the pandemic was a collection of scenes. And really it was any time our attention was drawn to the fact that these characters are insanely rich. <laughs> and it's not a major plot point, but it's like there. If you, didn't, if you didn't attend a glorious high school growing up, you look around at this movie, you're like, oh my God, look at these facilities. You got the swanky gym at the ski resort. You've got Troy's private basketball court in his backyard with the double high chain link fence. Cause when he tries to throw that basketball over the fence out of frustration, it comes back at him because he's completely fenced in uh, the fancy locker room. Like I, the locker room that I had when I was in high school, it was like cinder blocks and rusted chain link fence. Uh, I had an RC Cola machine that didn't work. Anymore. <laughs> rusted weights. Terrible. These guys have like, they're like walking from like, area to area in the locker room it goes on forever and their cafeteria is two stories it's ridiculous it's glorious like it has like a like there's the balcony sequence of like you know like just how you can like they move perspective like during like those moments i'm like but nobody high school looks like that. i mean i get you have to be like disgustingly wealthy to have a high school that looked like that yeah, and I love that that never becomes a plot point here, but we're clearly watching elite people living their elite lives. Yeah, which is why they have so much time to make all that choreography. Oh, that makes sense. So, yeah, they they don't, you know, they've got people cooking for them. They've got people uh, cleaning for them so they can get up extra early and work out the choreography should the, mute, the mood strike. Yeah. And then uh, the final scene that made me forget about the coronavirus is the final sing-along number. We're all in this together because uh, even though a lot happens in the last two minutes of this movie that we definitely have to talk about when we get to a category called, wait, what? Uh, (laughs) Still, you can't help but get caught up in just the energy and the excitement and you watch it and you think, wow, I wish I attended a basketball game like this once in my life. Yeah. What do you think? You got a couple of um, uh, nominations. 
Well, so I, so I have some thoughts about the last scene, but I'll actually hold it because it falls in one of my other categories. Um, honestly, one of the first, uh, the get your head in the game, basketball choreographed practice, um, because it was so charming. I mean, I, so I am a equal parts lover of sports films, um, and, um, you know, musicals adapted for cinema. And I was like, Oh, it just marries these things together all at the same time. So my sports and my musicals are happening at once. And like, it was just kind of charming. The only thing, well, and that's probably one of my picky things later at their basketball jerseys are very strange to me. There's like a sleeve, but not, I don't know. I found their jerseys weird, but, um, I like the choreography and it definitely took me out of like kind of, you know, just daily worldly woes right now of just like kind of watching. It was just, it was playful. It was well choreographed. It felt like fun and fresh and young. Like it was just like a neat way of like the interplay of the music and the bouncing of the basketballs I thought worked nicely. Um, so yeah, so that was definitely one of my scenes of kind of taking me out of, you know, just normal daily looking at the news. You mentioned the uniforms looking kind of funny and that, that made me think, do they look like a championship high school basketball team? No. No, right? No. no. First, I mean, here's the thing. Just, I'll say height alone. Like, and the physicality is not um, the cal. And, and I don't know, because maybe it's they're only playing these, like, other super wealthy schools. So maybe by comparison, they're like. That's what it is. They're championships. Know? They're a champion team in an elite league. Yeah. Like, there's. Elite, I, and I also love. But elite high schools. Elite high schools, yeah. Like, I love that we're also adding like a real like class warfare situation to oh, our interpretation. You could musical. totally do a Marxist read on this text. Oh know. yeah, um, I it's funny I, just because they're I don't know it, it like bothered me because it was like it's not unless I don't pretend to be like an aficionado of basketball, but I was just like that's like not a normal jersey. They don't. I agree with you completely. They look exactly I think as they're supposed to as like actors who are doing this because they have like a musical theater background because the movements into the dance sequence as perhaps in Troy's like mindset, which is like so deft and like, so like immediate. So yeah, that definitely, I love that scene. And it's like, I think kind of a class in, in terms of like your high school musical canon, I feel like it's a pretty like classic scene that you can point to of like something you remember from high school musical. That's an excellent point. If you got cast in this movie, it's not because you can play basketball. It's because you can sing and dance. So they got to exactly. look at all the singers and dancers and say, oh, gee, which one of these actually look a little bit like they could play basketball? This is the best we got. So we'll put these guys yeah. in. Yeah. And okay. I would imagine there had to be that curve of like, okay, well, first we have to, because I'm sure they, because they had to learn some basketball technique to be able to participate. And like, I think Zach Efron presents, and I think some of the, like the guys that are picked for the team present as athletes, but it's like, you know, obviously the concern here is it's high school musical. It's not meant to be a sports, you know, obviously, but like, I don't know. I just, I do. I love that scene. I feel like it's just, it's fun. It's got its own little like funky energy and it feels like something that was trying to not like kind of diverge from like traditional musical theater, but in a fun, like kind of safe Disney channel way. So, yeah, I'm stepping yeah. all over the wait what category, but we never really see either. We don't really see any formal basketball aside from like a few seconds here or there. We also never see the high school musical in a movie called High School Musical, which I find an odd choice. It's troubling. Like I want the, I want, I'm assuming that somewhere like I want a deleted scene of like what that looked like. Um, which actually the kind of after, well, we'll get, again, we'll get to the picky, like, so wait, what kind of moments, but yeah, it's, 
I kind of want to see that a little bit more. Like, again, it's high school music because the musical's like happening everywhere. Like, I get it. But like, I kind of want to see what that show looks like. I mean, I hate the teacher, like Mrs. Darvis, but I kind of still want to see what production she puts together. Well, Miss Darvis, or as I like to call her, not Meryl Streep from The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> took me 10 minutes to figure out that's not Meryl Streep from The Devil Wears Prada, which came out the same year, by the way. So there's totally, totally stealing that. There, yeah, there has to be some overlap there. And like, they make her so, and this, and this will be kind of one of my other comments, but they make her so desperately unlikable. It's not that like, you know, because there's that strong sense of like strong, like sense in like, you know, any type of whether it's sports or theater or anything like where someone's advising, like, you know, you pushed your heart on people, but you pushed them and the idea being because you want them to become better people or better at their craft. I never get that sense from her that she really cares if they like excel. It's like, no, no, it's Sharpay and Ryan and everyone else is terrible. Yeah, I don't, that Mrs. Starbucks. So maybe I didn't want to see her show. You know what? Best I didn't see it. I would have not liked it. I, I wonder, what would this show even be? Because uh, all props to Kelsey, who is a great character. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the character of Kelsey. Uh, and I love that they've got a student composing and like that's her thing. And you know, she gets bullied for a little while, but then she kind of gets to come into her own. Great classic high school movie evolution. Uh, but every single number that they sing is completely different in style, tone, and content. So what is this show? It's interesting. I thought at some point there'd be like an explanation that this was a showcase where, um, you know, they keep referencing the spring musical is happening at a later time. So like, oh, okay, so maybe this was just like a collaboration of almost like a talent show, but something a little more curated than a talent show. Yeah, maybe like a um, review or something. Yeah, 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 like something where it's just kind of showcasing like what the theater department has to offer uh, going forward. But there's never that. And even like the audition pieces or the fact that they're able to audition with something that's like not from the show, it just it's all seems really strange. And there's never like a clarification on that, which just makes me think that she's all the more villainous because I feel like she's just doing it at will, but only the people that she deems okay. I can't explain how much I don't like this woman. I don't know if she gets a redemption like later on in these films, but mm, just don't like her in this. Mrs. Well, how about when Sharpay very easily convinces her to move the call back? Despite the <laughs> fact that I, I think only two couples got called back, it would take her 30 seconds to contact the other couple and say, can you guys make it on Friday? Yeah, exactly. No, and she does not go through those steps and procedures. And this isn't like a... Oh, we're talking stone ages here. Like technology is accessible at this point. She could oh, get in touch oh, with all these students. She chooses not to. Oh, the, the things they do with computers in 2006 in this movie are ridiculous. <laughs> oh, oh! I have a note about their tiny little high school terrorism at the bottom of my document. Yes, it's yes. not okay what they do. I'm okay with the quote unquote terrorism. I'm not okay with the fact that they wouldn't actually be able to do any of that. Like they put the little camera on one laptop and through what it says at the bottom of the screen is Wi-Fi. They're able to live stream uh, that instantly to another laptop that's just waiting for the transmission. And that part is so me. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but, oh, but yeah. So I'll say for, for my scenes, I think that closes out. Like, cause I agree with you, the start of something new, cause that actually goes into my next category. Okay. Um, with that. Say, that is okay. the best scene to take your mind off the pandemic. The opening karaoke scene started. Yeah. I, yeah, it, it's, it's truly cause it's very sweet. And it's also my, my heart melted when, yeah, um, going on. To, that's the next huh. category. My heart melted when we're going to shift away from trashing Miss Darbus and get back to the things we liked about this movie. My heart melted when 
Do you sing that opening scene is when your heart melted? It's so cute. Like it's first off, I mean, it's the definition of a perfect meet cute. And even at, even for meet cutes, it's like extra cutesy. Like it's, just so like adorable how unsure they are but like how like through the song they find this rhythm together and then like kind of the afterward of like you have almost like a Cinderella moment and there's like some really like solid like classic Disney references like peppered throughout the film and like I love that idea that she kind of like goes away and then it's like well he doesn't really know how to get in touch with her and it's just like so adorable and like and like Zac Efron you really have to like give a lot of credit to this film of it was very clear to me if you watch this understanding that he was going to have a career after this that this wasn't because there's plenty of people who have been in Disney movies the, the made for TV ones or the ones that didn't like you know maybe didn't have like a like terribly wide release who kind of that's the only thing that they did but it's very clear watching this movie like he's charming he's so charming like and it's not really hard to understand how he was going to have to have a career after this. And even if you think about like his later musical role, like he was in the greatest showman and he's awesome in the greatest showman. He's probably to me, I would say probably the best part of that film. And like, he just, he has such like a, like an effortless, like effervescence about him. Like you just kind of want to watch him and it makes that scene all the more, more adorable because he seems vulnerable, but it's like, you're the star basketball player. You're super charming. You're so cute. You're a great singer. You have no reason to feel vulnerable in this moment, but he does. And it just made my heart melt. He's so cute. Yeah. So cute. I like, I like that you mentioned they exchange numbers and pictures and then she disappears. And there's like two seconds of panic on his face and <laughs> in our hearts until we realize, well, this is 2006. He's just going to reach out to her. It's fine. It's yeah. like this is uh, before sunrise, right? Where these two people, these two people spend 24 hours together in uh, whatever it was, was it Amsterdam? Was it before sunrise? I knew it was a European city, but I didn't European know which one. City. And when they part ways, like in 1994, five, whenever that came out, like there was literally no way to stay in contact with that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas this, it's like, they're going to be okay. And okay. listen, I'll just call her up tomorrow. tomorrow for Cinema Sins, the movie has to happen. So they're going to meet up at some point. But like he just, he does. He looks so crestfallen. Like, oh, how can I have let her slip through my fingers? Like, but it's so, it's, it's adorable. And my heart like melted. And his vulnerability is a really good point too. I had originally down as another category, if we were to recast this movie with Southern Lehigh staff members or students, who would we recast Ah! And I took it off because at first you think like, well, there's like, how could the basketball player who's got the world on a plate be this vulnerable and unwilling to try things? Um, yeah. But I remembered it actually happened a couple of years ago when Luke, That's Strauss, right. <laughs> Luke Strauss auditioned for the musical for Little Mermaid. And he walked in with Nate Morris and they wanted to play the Eels and they just wanted to be comic relief. And Ware was like, uh-huh. stop everything. We have found our Prince Eric. Kid, you're gonna be a star. <laughs> well, we already had our Troy Bolton, and it was Luke Strauss. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> I love that. So, I don't think we have to go any further with my heart melted when, because that is probably the most heart melting scene. I can't really think of one that's better. Really- I, I do like the scenes on the rooftop with the flowers, uh, the science. Oh, that sure. really nice. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think the opening karaoke scene takes the cake. All right, on the other hand, definitely some scenes where eh, my attention kind of wandered. It's the modern era. We have short attention spans. We like to look at our phones. 
when we're watching movies. So this category is called I Checked My Phone When. And for me, the biggest red flag was anytime Troy was interacting with his dad. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Just such an obnoxious cliche that I've gotten really sensitive to since I became a father. Um, As dads, we have our flaws, uh, but we are not nearly as awful and do I want to say soulless? He's soulless for a while. I'm going to go with soulless. Oh, dad. Yeah. He's kind of terrible. He's Miss Darbus level of like not okay in this movie. He and Miss Darbus treat each other like like 12 year olds treat each other. Uh, and uh, oh, yeah. that was really cliche, bad portrayal of dads. And I would just tap out every time they were interacting on screen. You got one? Yes. Um, uh, the audition sequence. Uncomfortable. Uh, Oh, I was so uncomfortable. That like horrifying secondhand embarrassment. Like I couldn't take it. I went to Twitter, Twitter of all places to find refuge from what I was watching. Like I couldn't do it. Like it was just, and because Mrs. Darvis, again, villain of the story is so mean. And I just felt like horrid. And then I realized like, oh man, like you got hired for High School Musical to be the non-talented person in a scene. I couldn't take it. I The empathy is just running too high right now. I can watch the audition sequences. You know, and Sharpay says later on very arrogantly that she's been in 17 high school musicals. And after that audition sequence, I wondered, how is that possible when nobody else in the high school is any good at this? My, my, oh, yeah, I don't know. My only guess is that she like fake enrolls into other like of these elite schools and is allowed to be like dual enrolled in like two institutions. That way she can be in multiple musicals. Oh, she would. She's that vile, at least until the last 30 seconds of the movie, which we definitely have to talk about. Oh, Oh, we will talk about those 30 seconds because they make me real mad. Yeah. All right. So we'll call that one a draw. Anything with Troy and his dad and the auditions, just uncomfortable to watch. And uh, we tuned out. More positive. What did you feel was the best musical number? I'll let you go first on this one. Um, without a doubt, uh, we're all in this together. It's so, first off, I realized just from seeing students like do that, like I think I have the choreography for the chorus memorized because they did it and instinctively I was like, wait, I know how to do this part. Like, why do I know this? Oh gosh, I've seen kids do this. Like, and I just think it's it's just kind of the perfect embodiment of like for if if you're someone who's into musical theater what you would like fantasize would happen when you're in high school like a big musical number breakout and it brings all the groups together like and it's sweet and it's like what you kind of the best of what you would want out of your high school experience which is all of these people coming together for this like very like one super positive purpose and the message is so nice and it's at the end of the movie and it's got like I'm a sucker for if you've got a drum line in a musical number, like that just to me, like amplifies like how awesome the moment can be. So to me, it's just, it's like so perfect. It's got that like John Hughes level of wish fulfillment in a high school situation that I just really, I don't know. I, it's a showstopper and it's just, it's so iconic. And then they do like the slowed down version for the senior year in part three. Like, I just think it's adorable. So best musical number. We're all in this together. I like the John Hughes comparison because I think that's a positive and a negative throughout the movie. Uh, they do a lot with social groups and the cliches of social groups and social class, not social class, but like uh, social group warfare, uh, which I thought by 2006, we were kind of over that. And I don't really think that was reflective of actual high schools in 2006. It was reflective 
of the fact that this movie was definitely written by people who went to high school in the 80s when social group warfare was a real potent thing. Um, But there's another scene that I think takes good advantage of that. I like the cafeteria number. And the cafeteria number is about the best parts of like John Hughes movies where people are sharing who they really are and accepting one another for it. And I, I probably warmed up to that because that didn't happen for me when I was in high school where I went to high school in the middle of nowhere, you played sports. And if you weren't into sports, there was nothing for it. Like I was into movies. I was into books. I liked to write. There were no clubs or organizations for any of that. Uh, so I was kind of the odd man out. So I would have loved to have stood up on a cafeteria table and said, I'm a movie buff. And people <laughs> accepted me like they accept Zeke for his baking. Well, and I think it's like an interesting, and I'm glad you picked that scene because the scene is such an interesting moment because you have to wonder then like, and I feel like there's a good thesis in, in here somewhere about this of like how much of is that understanding or fear about social groups informed by entertainment and how much of it is actually present like is that you know like you're talking about your experience you wonder it's like is how much of that like a complete like representation of how it feels at certain times in history the fear of what would it be like if my high school was really broken into these factions or is my high school whether consciously or subconsciously broken into these like factions where you have to kind of like fulfill the role does that pressure come from home is it internal is it from entertainment like there's so much to kind of mine in there and so it makes it kind of a finesse scene of like what would it look like if everyone in your high school just got up and said, this is the thing I'm actually into, or this is my, this is my weird. This is the thing I'm actually nerdy about. So you just need to accept it as it is. And it's so cute because everything they say is so harmless and innocent. And like, I don't know, I want to be friends with the person who can make a creme brulee. Like that's dope. I get to have creme brulee like all the time. Like that's awesome. But it's like interesting to think about these barriers that are either created by society or that we create internally that makes us think we can't, express exactly who we are and the things that we're interested in. So what's up with Chad not accepting the creme brulee, especially at the high school. Chad makes me mad. And I don't mean to rhyme here. It's like, I literally wrote down at one point, like Chad and the dad are the only things right now that I'm like, could maybe rival Miss start because like, it just, Chad, I just want to, I just want to clarify Chad and the dad make you mad. Yes. Chad and the dad make me mad. That's definitely a line from the cat. And sad. I'm gonna go and sad. <laughs> or I'm Dr. Seussing now. This is bad. Um, so it's, yeah, I just, it, it, I find the like kind of restrictive. And then it's like, why, you know, why does he feel like he needs to restrict his body so much? And then like goes to this like whole level of like subterfuge as you were talking about, like with setting up the secret cameras and making him like showing him pictures of past like basketball icons to be like, we're counting on you, man. Like, it was so weird. I mean, I'm glad he gets to have a turn at the end, but it's, like, weird up until that point of, like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I felt, like, devoted to anything like that in high school. Like, yeah, maybe my Anne Rice was, but... The way, the way he hits on girls and asks them out is also terribly random and creepy. No, no, I was like, his relate, But this is an old reference. Like, it, he reminds me of, like, a little, like, A.C. Slater and Saved by the Bell. Although I don't think A.C. <laughs> Slater was ever as cringy as that, but that's kind no. of what he reminds me because, like, he goes after the Jesse Spano type character in High School Musical. You feel what I'm saying? Like he's like, essentially like, "Mama, you're like I asked you on a date at the end." You know. You know what's notable about that uh, Jesse Spano type character in High School Musical and Chad getting together? Uh, it's huh. a terrible cliche, but they are the token minority characters, and I think that's why they end up together in 2006. As a society, we looked at them like, "Oh, that's nice." 
And no, individual human beings, doesn't matter the color of their skin. There was no moment where those characters connected. It's just like, put Chad with somebody. Well, and I really, I'll say this, if we're going to talk about those couplings, like here, here's the credit I'll give High School Musical. I like about High School Musical is compared to a lot of, I think, high school driven content that we probably grew up with that was like geared towards like high school experience. It's a lot more inclusive. Like it was definitely a mark in the right direction, but then it still falls on these like weird form situations where we have to have everyone coupled at the end. Like Kelsey has to have the guy showing her how to shoot a basketball shot. Like Kelsey doesn't care about basketball. She's a composer. Like like, I found that, like, it's this weird, we have to kind of make the happy ending where everyone's, like, kind of coupled up because we've done that for Troy and Gabriella, so now everyone has to be. And we're going to put them in couplings that make sense, that kind of work. And it's, like, it's strange because you, like, realize that that's kind of where we were in pop culture at that moment of what well, felt progressive to be more inclusive, to have a cast that looked more representative of like what an American high school classroom looks like, but then but we still, still need- doing the cliches. Yeah, like did we you know still- what else? Did you notice what else they did to Kelsey? And I knew this was coming. In that last scene, they she's all that at her. Oh my God, yes they did, yes they did. Oh, she like- for it. She's got the horrible hat and the glasses and the hair is tied back. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is definitely a really pretty actress who's eventually going to take that hat off shed those glasses, and sure enough, she comes out the last scene, she's wearing an off-the-shoulder tight red top, the hair is flowing down, she's got the, like, the red lipstick that totally pops, and then she shoots a basket. Yeah, and it just, it did, it was, it, I won't lie, it was very, because I, like, I loved her vibe throughout the entirety of the film, because I'm like, you know, she represents, like, because I, you know, they didn't really do a lot, like, specific with, like, kind of, you know, you're talking about, like, she's, like, the kind of, like, like, geeky girl, but, like, she kind of fills that part, and I guess, like, Gabriella's supposed to as well, but, like, it's just, like, it's very odd, and, like, so it's weird. In some ways, I feel like probably for its time, the movie was doing more than like in terms of like inclusiveness but not progressiveness because you have what is um I'm looking for because I wrote it down oh um Chad refers to Gabriella as the elevated IQ temptress girl and I was like yeah and I was like that's not okay I was like first off that would make a really like dope Instagram handle but then outside of that it's like, oh, she's tempting him with her smarts. Like, it, I was like, oh, this is not okay. Like, Chad is not an okay character. <laughs> like, Chad doesn't hold up. It's another issue I had watching this as a guy who once attended a high school, was part of sports teams, had had conversations in locker rooms. The guys on his team would be okay with him joining the musical if he's going after a quote-unquote hot girl, which from yeah. Chad's dialogue, he clearly recognizes she is. Yeah, and it, it's just, it's true. And I think this is where, like, high school programming is always kind of functions in this way of, like, it'll do so much to make, like, it does these, like, two weird things at the same time. Like, the the presentation is, no, we, we want you to be who you want to be. It's important that you do. People are going to be redeemed, and that's really what the high school experience should be. But then also these other, like, really weird, like, regressive things like done on the surface. And I mean, at that comparatively speaking to some of the high school programming that was geared towards people of our age, this is so much better, but it's still got those buggy little things. Like if you take something like she's all that, like she's all that is like horrifying. Like, I've never made it through. She's all that awful. Oh, it's here as a, as a youth, I was like, Oh, this is so cute. Freddie Prince jr. Like it, but it, 
when you watch it later on, you're like, oh, wow, this really doesn't hold up. So I think like High School Musical holds up in the sense of it's nowhere near as probably damaging as its predecessors, but there's still some buggy issues in there of like what they do in that final sequence where you're like, well, why are we coupling all these characters that seem to have like no interactions with each other? Like, can't the happy ending just be like, hey, you know what's great for Chad? He came to accept that his friend has different interests and then that's okay. And that's his happy ending. Or like, you know, um, for, oh gosh, the girl's name is going out of my head. For Kelsey, like Kelsey composed music. That's a dope happy ending. Like need to go no further than that. So yeah, it's a weird, you know, it's what a lot of high school programming does. It starts creating weird couplings where you don't need them. Yeah, I think ultimately what it has on its side is it's a Disney production. So it's not going to revel in those awkward cliches that they really shouldn't be exploiting. Um, You mentioned other things that were geared toward like maybe us when we were in high school. You mentioned She's All That came out in 99. I graduated high school in 99. And so it was aimed at me. And even at the time, I was like, no, this is a terrible movie. Uh, American (laughs) Pie also came out in 1999 uh, and has a subplot where a lacrosse player joins the musical because he's going after a girl, uh, but way more inappropriate. And what was the word I'm looking for? Uh, problematic. Way more problematic, problematic. than anything you get. Yeah. And I think, you know, and here, and I'll even say this, like even the indulging of like, again, like where High School Musical succeeds is I think it tries to represent marginal stories a little bit broader than programming before it. But I think where it performs is it does this thing of like, kind of, you know, given that it's Disney, like happy ending, you know, prince, princess, like end up together, like, but it was just, it is, it's a weird moment where you start to see couplings. You're like, well, this all of a sudden doesn't make sense, but it is probably a more, again, probably like the most appropriate version of like high school representation of that than most of the stuff that tends to be geared towards like your high school, your teen comedies, because they definitely, you know, take the, you know, the, it goes all the way up to 11, one might say. Like, the nozzle of, like, how they represent high school life. All right. Do you have a pick for worst musical number? Oh, I do. Which one Hold did on. you pick? Okay. So I picked, um, and I have to remember the name of it. Oh, Bop to the Top. Ooh. I hated that is so that, much. Is that Sharpay and Ryan, the, like, salsa? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. The, oh, because for... So, so many reasons. One, because it contributes to that problem of the show that Mrs. Darvis is putting on makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, that song, that number is really out of left field compared to the others. It's totally divergent, like, just from, from like, genre of music, tone in the film. Like, it's so beyond. It feels, like, very much, like, opening number, like, in, like, a, you know, like, on a cruise line, like, their show night. Like, that's how it feels. <laughs> yes. Like, the costumery, like, very much follows that track. But what's interesting is, is I'm like, the entire reason that we understand that Sharpay and Ryan have been in the musicals, and particularly Sharpay, is because they are theater aficionados, classically trained. And then they do something that is so divergent from anything that would appear in, like, legitimate musical theater that it's it's just such a strange divergence. Like, why wouldn't they be singing, like, a power ballad together or, like, something that kind of leans more towards, I guess, your, like, quote-unquote, like, traditional, like, Broadway fair, very showy, tap dancey, jazzy, like, big band. That would make sense. Them doing this, like, odd, like, kind of, 
like really watered down salsa number, I guess, like just felt so strange or like, even if they had done something like modern, I kind of like borrowed upon pop music of the time and those genre, like that genre is trappings. That would have even made more sense because they're trying to be like relevant, but it made no sense to me. It wasn't catchy. It didn't feel young. It didn't feel clever. And it only to me solidified more like you really want me to feel that Sharpay is a villain because of how bad that song is. I do think that it's catchy and it's clever. Um, I, I actually like it as a song, but I 100% agree with you that it does not fit in that musical or in this movie at all. You're going to hate me for this one, but my least favorite musical number was Get Your Head in the Game. What? I, it's what you said earlier, right? It's guys singing and dancing about why Troy should not be singing and dancing. And even if it's a projection of what's going on inside of Troy's head, you keep reminding me that these guys should not be singing and dancing. It's the whole point of the movie. I also like the logistics of it, like just rack my brain. Did it really happen? Or is it like a a dream sequence? Because it doesn't happen at the end of the day at a real practice because we ultimately see that practice. Zac Efron can't go to it because he's in detention. So I think what we ultimately find out is that this happens during their free period, which leaves me with a ton of questions. It's like if during Spartan Block, our basketball team took the time to get dressed, put their uniforms on, stage a full practice with no coach, no teacher. Uh, Troy Bolton leads the whole thing but can't get his head in the game. Uh, and then I guess they, they change, they shower, and then they continue on with the rest of the school day. The whole thing was just super confusing. I didn't like the dribbling of the basketballs becoming the beat. It was too obvious, too cliche. Not for me. Fair, fine. I mean, I don't agree, but fine. I do think... It's I mean, maybe we think of this as like uh, like Troy Bolton fever dream because his dad doesn't hydrate him properly because he overworks him. Like I feel like there's an angle here where we can blame this all on the dad. I like the, the idea like the father working him too hard. They they do take this way too seriously. I saw in your notes you mentioned the Zach Efron fathead. That we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, come on. He's the like, of all the players, and he's gigantic. In the, and they're all doing, like, action shots where, like, one guy's dunking, one guy's hitting a free throw. And Zach Efron's just staring there with his giant, beautiful blue eyes. And I will say, like, there is so much, obviously, in this film that I go, okay, I can understand. That makes sense. Musical theater. I gotcha. I don't know what it was, but we got to that big fat head of him, and I just went, nope, now the movie makes no sense to me. And then they have... Oh my God, it's almost like a ritual where they call him into the locker room and they show him all the nicely framed pictures of the guys who played on the team years ago. And there's one of his dad. And I'm thinking like, did they go to, did they go to Walmart and do like the print the photos and then buy some frames or were these hanging somewhere? Are they going to light candles in the middle of this? I think there's some flowers on the table. It's very This is how I think of it. They're so wealthy. They have a photo lab in the school and a framing station. You know what I mean? Like, they commit that hard because they're like, someone's going to need this at some point. We don't know why. It could be for something culty, but we don't know yet. So let's just set this up. Let's use the money from like our parent donors to make sure this is in place. You never know. All right, Toss. We've been going for almost an hour. Let's finish strong with uh, the category I've most been waiting for, which is wait, what? Which is all of our nitpicks about weird character moments and plot holes and stuff that just doesn't make sense. I'm going to go first. Why aren't Sharpay and Ryan just a couple? 
rather than brother and sister because they fit all of the characteristics of a 2006 power. They, they are Heidi Montag and Spencer Pratt. Oh my gosh, I didn't make that connection. Oh, that is who they are. They walk down the halls arm in arm. They are way too close and affectionate to be brother and sister. I won't lie, and I'm going to say this in a way so you can cut it out if you need to, but all I, like, I, I put in my other document, great, the Lannisters have made an appearance in High School Musical. That's all it reminded me of. Like, because it does feel like their relationship is, like, oddly close and they're oddly dependent. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, be close to your siblings. Like, that's dope, especially if, if you're twins and, like, you're going to high school at the same time. But it, they do a lot of work that makes them seem coupled and not siblinged. Yes. And in any other movie, that pair of characters would be a couple. They're resisting it for some reason, that they have to cast them as brother and sister. Maybe it's Disney. I don't know. Which is strange, too, because they do so much work making, like, just forced couplings at the end, like, with Kelsey. And then, like, you have... Now, I mean, I will say, like, I know we talked earlier, like, there is something with Taylor um, and Chad, because they do, like, conspire on the whole, like, uncoupling of Gabrielle and Troy. So maybe there's, like, like strange bedfellows there earlier established. Maybe they're coupling kind of... From my experience in high school... It was never that simple to get together with a girl. Oh, listen, no, couplings do not happen that easily. But I'm thinking in film terms, I guess that's enough of a structure. But yeah, there is something like odd with Sharpay and Ryan where it seems like almost like someone wrote the script and left that part out blank. Are they siblings or are they a couple? And then flipped a coin. And they went, okay, well, it's siblings. And then- I think I was 20 minutes into the movie before I realized they were brother and sister and not boyfriend and girlfriend. I can understand it because I don't feel like they make it clear. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the last two minutes of this movie where insane things just happen? You mentioned Chad and Taylor suddenly getting together. We talked about Kelsey getting the game ball and suddenly she's gorgeous. Uh, well, what about Ryan and Sharpay's turn at the end? This blew my mind. Okay. This is something that makes me like truly irate because what I like about the idea of of characters kind of like owning who they are in this film. Like the idea that you have Chad has this like really nice turn of like realizing he needs to be a good friend to Troy. And you have Gabrielle kind of owning the fact that she's a singer and Troy understanding that he can have both. All of that I get. Sharp Hay being cordial and saying like, I'm breaking a leg. No, that's good luck for us. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I would rather track, especially considering, you know, you know that she kind of falls back on form in like the later films. Like I would rather have her be what she actually is, which is mad because she's been dethroned by a girl who maybe doesn't have the same stake in theater that she does. And fine. If you want to have a moment where she kind of like reconciles that, but it shouldn't be as like, it's immediate resolution. There's no like, we're not seeing a buildup to where Sharpay's going to understand, like, it's okay if I'm not the lead because my love of theater is what's really important. There's none of that. Just all of a sudden she's nice. No, let Sharpay be Sharpay. On the other hand, are we sure that Troy and Gabriella are the right pick for this musical? We don't even know what the musical is. It's so it's hard to evaluate that. But you talk about Sharpay feeling like she's been upstaged by this girl who doesn't deserve this opportunity. This girl has no experience whatsoever. It blows my mind that we're expected to believe that they're that good at singing when they have literally no experience whatsoever. At one point, they're reading sheet music. 
I questioned if they'd even be able to do that. Which I have this listed here is one of the things that bothers me is because they say that, so Gabriella makes the claim that her only experience is in church choir. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know what church you go to, but again, this is like a very strange world where the essentially the only given, like people are so strict of other parts of their identity. Like the only given is that we're all really rich. So maybe at this very wealthy, like church that you attended, there's like someone who's like classically or Broadway trained that you sound like this, but I feel like that's supposed to be taken as a given that she has this like amazing voice. And I don't always love films that like announce how talented someone is. I always find that a little strange, like, just let me do that for myself as a viewer, but fine, like, we'll just take that. But you're right. I don't know if there's anything firmly given to us to say that Gabriella's voice is somehow inferior to Sharpay's. The only thing I can think that maybe this is being based on is like, well, Gabriella and Troy's chemistry is electric and well, Sharpay's isn't with her brother. And because uh, I wonder why, is it because it's her brother? Well, yeah, like, we're not really buying and but again, like, I don't know, like, what's supposed to be the basis of this, like, play? And then I think wait, you- Wait a minute. We just hit upon something. Some of those songs are romantic songs. So how's it going to work if Sharpay and Ryan get the lead roles? Well, no, there's that line earlier, if you remember, like, it Sharpay, someone says, like, well, Sharpay would play both Romeo and Juliet, like, and yeah. Ryan would be out of the picture. And I was like- Wait, so am I to assume that if they've been in, and let's, like, if we think about theater broadly, there tends to be between your, your, you know, typical, like, male and female lead, there's some sort of romantic tension. That's, like, kind of at the center of, like, most theater, most drama, like, that you're going to be performing at a high school level. All right. Where should we go next? Other nitpicks. Uh, oh, okay. So I found myself questioning at the end, is this any, Sharpay's change of heart, is that any different from Johnny Lawrence handing Daniel LaRusso the trophy at the end of Karate Kid. And where he's like, you're all right, LaRusso, and he totally accepts him. But then I remember that dude got kicked in the face. So yeah. Daniel LaRusso has totally proven he is the better athlete. He has clearly been upstage. I'm not so sure it's as clear in High School Musical. Well, and I think too, like there, if the acceptance was that like, well, Gabriella, because I mean, I do think she's built like very like nicely brought, like she's kind of pure of heart. She seems to have like a decent head on her shoulder. She's smart, you know? And I think if it, there was like interactions where Sharpay was like so overtaken by her kindness that she kind of had to understand, but the, the people who are getting that and getting that interaction with her are not people that Sharpay would be interacting with because they make it like very clear. It's not like, Sharpay and Taylor have these interactions where Taylor can say like, look, we're on, um, I don't know if they call it classic scrimmage. What do they call it? Uh, 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 academic decathlon. Academic decathlon. Like, you know, Hey, I work with her in academic decathlon and she's like a solid human being. And like, she's super smart and super kind. And like, just, you need to kind of just accept that she's going to be this important part of our school community, whatever. But like, that doesn't happen. So it's no. like a weird, like, why does she, Sharpay all of a sudden reconcile that the thing that she's felt so passionately about. I mean, like she's so, and I love Sharpay because Sharpay is extra just in every, and her locker is pink when everyone else's is like whatever the muted color is for the school, like hers is pink. And she has so much control over this theater program. And she, you know, is like kind of like a super sibling where she's like manipulating her brother into being a part of theater to serve. So that way they can kind of always like work as like a paired deal. But like, so I just don't see the entry point at which Sharpay all of a sudden is like, you know what, Gabriella, you're okay in my book. Cause it's not like Gabriella does something like, it's not like there's a moment where Gabriella says like, Hey, 
let's get Sharpay and Ryan out here and they can sing the last chorus with us. Like there's none of that. I'd feel much better about it if Gabriella kicked Sharpay in the face. It would just make more sense. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's a deleted scene. Like, I don't know. Again, there could be like an underground fight club. This is a very wealthy school. They could have like less rules than we do. All right. That is all I have for the wait what category. And that is our last category. So Tasi, I thank you for taking this time to discuss yes, this film with me, which ultimately we've decided is a film about rich people. It is. It's about, it's about rich people. It's about neutering people of their identity, except their wealth and their clubs and activities. Like that's essentially, so essentially what you're boiled down to is everything you put a fa- on a FAFSA form and your application um, to the college. Wow. That sounds really timely for our seniors, which is who we <laughs> picked this movie for anyway. So thank you very but much. I, I think bottom line though, this is a delight and a fun watch. And I won't lie. I think I'm going to put on high school musical two today. I think it's going to happen. I might do it just to see if they actually get to the high school musical at some point in this series. Which I actually don't know. I've seen I mean, the first one. I've seen snippets, but I don't know if they get there. All right. I'm in. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mr. Right. Gustagna. Take care, Tassie.